0: Where do you go to find advice? The internet, TV, co-workers, friends, family? These are all pretty common places to look for help. We all have those situations in our life that push us to do a quick Google search. Whether it's dealing with a burnt steak, a leaking water heater, or a car that isn't sounding so great, we could all use a little help. But for those situations that return about zero results from Google, or those situations that the fortune cookie just didn't predict, where do we go then? Those situations require more than knowledge. They require wisdom. It might be common sense to take a burning steak off the grill, but for other situations, you might need some uncommon sense.
1: Hey, good morning, and welcome to Northridge Church. We're excited to have you here this morning. I want to welcome our campuses at Webster, Greece, Henrietta, Arondicoit. All of you who are watching online, and if you're a guest here this morning, a special welcome to you. Thanks for, for joining us this weekend, and you know, as you begin to experience Northridge Church, and as you continue to experience Northridge Church, man, our hope and our prayer is that what could easily seem maybe like a crowd, a lot of people, begins to transition into what feels like a family, where you are welcomed, you are loved and cared uh, for, and as you begin to come Sunday after Sunday, it feels like almost like you're coming home, and so thanks for being here this morning, and welcome to Northridge Church, and you know, last week we, we, we dove headfirst into this series called Uncommon Sense. And in this series, we're taking a glance at the wisdom of the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth. And in week one, it was really important, if you weren't here, we kind of established this foundation of wisdom, really answered the question, where does wisdom come from? And Solomon, he said, hey, wisdom truly comes from the fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And we kind of tackled what the fear of the Lord means. We broke it down into four words. It starts with this healthy fear of God, of knowing who he is and what he's capable of. We should be a little bit afraid, which leads us to this reverence of God, that I revere God for the position that he holds. And out of that reverence leads me to obey him. No matter whether I like it or not, I I know God is the boss, he's sovereign, he's in control, and so I just submit to his ways. And out of that obedience, it leads us really to a posture of a lifestyle where we just live in this posture of worship where we are in awe of God. Every part and nook and cranny of God, everything we see, we're just in awe of how amazing God is. And Solomon said, hey, that is the foundation of true biblical wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And it's really important to understand that foundation because, out of that foundation, over the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about areas in our life, really popular areas, where we need to take that foundation and apply it in our lives. And and if there was ever a topic that we really needed wisdom today, it's sex. Because you, you know this already, our culture is obsessed with sex. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, sex has been used to, to sell everything from trucks to hamburgers. I mean, we, it's, it's all around. You, you drive on the highway, you see billboards, and there's you know, sexual pictures. You, you, you see it in the magazines you read. You, you open up a screen, and, and there it is. It's all around us because our culture is obsessed with it. It's been one of the most popular topics for thousands of years, and it was true for God's word and in God's day and age. In Proverbs chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there because we need wisdom on the topic of sex. Proverbs chapter 5, I'd encourage you to grab your Bible and turn there. We're going to kind of walk through this chapter in the book of Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible, man, we will provide one for you. It's going to be on page 514 in the Northridge Bible. I'd also encourage you to you know, go to your app and keep notes or grab your program, grab a pen, and write some of this stuff down. And in Proverbs chapter 5, it's kind of a unique passage in the Bible where Solomon, the author, the wisest man, one of the wisest men to ever walk the face of the earth, we know this because God gave him his wisdom. And what's interesting about Proverbs chapter 5 is Solomon, as a father, sits down with his son, much like a parent would do in our culture today, and he begins to talk to him about sex, the power of it, the danger of it. And what's great for us is we're given this window into this intimate conversation with a father and son. And he gives us insight as parents how to have this conversation. And he also gives us wisdom on how we should handle sex. We start in verse one of Proverbs chapter five. It says this, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. And I love where Solomon starts with his son. He just simply says, bud, this is really important. You're not gonna wanna kind of like lose track. You're, you're not gonna wanna fade out in this conversation. Lean in son, pay attention, listen up because here's this might actually save you from a lot of pain and a lot of heartache later down in your, ro- in your life. And if you're here this morning and you're a teenager You're a college student. I'd really urge you today to lean in, to pay attention, to do exactly what Solomon tells his son because if you get this at a young age, it will spare you and it will save you from a lot of heartache, a lot of pain and a lot of regret in your life. And that is exactly where Solomon starts this conversation with his son. Dude, pay attention Please listen to my words. Don't ignore them. Don't, don't, don't think about something else because this is vital in your walk with God. And so he begins to warn him. He begins to warn him of the power and the damage sex can accomplish. He says this, Proverbs chapter 5, he says, For the lips of an adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And now when we read through this passage, one thing I want to make clear to you is, is it almost might like seem like Solomon is kind of blaming women. It almost seemed like, hey, why is Solomon picking on women in this passage? And you just have to understand the reason why an adulterous woman is used is because he's talking to his son. If this was a, a, a mother to a daughter relationship, it would be the adulterous man. But it's just a father to son, and so he's not picking on women here. He's just using the, 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 most, the greatest example for his son life that he will struggle with. And so he says to his son, hey, this adulterous woman, she, her, her, her lips are smoother than oil, and she drips honey. And what he's saying is, son, get this, sexual sin is really appealing. Sexual sin looks good. It's desi- you will desire it. You will want it. In fact, in this culture, two things that were delicacies were honey and oil. They were two things that many people in this culture, in this context, desired after, they wanted, they wished they could have. And he's using that as an example to tell his son, when it comes to sexual sin, you're going to want it. You're going to desire it. There's something in you that's going to be drawn to it. I mean, we know this to be true. Because if, if sin in general wasn't appealing, we wouldn't struggle with it so much, would we? But it's the fact that we actually lust after it, we desire it, that makes it so hard. And it's even harder with sexual sin. You're gonna want it even that much more. And so he says, be careful because it might look good, but Proverbs verse four, it says, but in the end, she's as bitter as gall, a vinegar drink, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of her life. Her path wanders aimlessly, but she does not even know it. So he says to his son, hey, listen, sexual sin is gonna look really good. You're gonna want it, you're gonna desire after it, but understand this, sexual sin is damaging. It's damaging. It may look good, it may feel good, but it will cost you more than you can realize because she's as bitter as gall and her path leads to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. And I love that that imagery of steps because sexual sin doesn't just happen in one giant leap. It's a bunch of small, tiny steps that we take that lead us to the grave, that lead us to destruction. It's, it's over the course of time where we take small steps towards sexual sin that lead us to bad places. And he reminds us, son, hey, it's gonna be appealing, but it's gonna cost you. It's gonna ruin you. It's gonna do damage in your life. So he begins to tell his son how we avoid it, like how you stay away from it. He drops this wisdom bomb on him. Verse seven, he says, now then, my son, listen to me. Pay attention. Again, he he tells, lean in here. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to the path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. And so Solomon tells his son, hey, here's how you stay away from sexual sin. You don't go near it. You stay as far away from that woman, from that thing as, as you possibly can. Don't go near it. And he simply says, do not flirt with sexual sin. Don't flirt with it. And I think the reason why Solomon said this to his son is because he knew, the true about, he knew the truth about him and he knew the truth about us. Is when it comes to sin, you know what we like to do as Christians, especially when it comes to like this dating world, is we like to ask questions like, well, you know, how far is too far? What can I get away with without displeasing God? Like that's how we live. As, as, as Christians today, many of us, we love to flirt with sin, especially sexual sin, because it's pleasurable. It's exciting. And so what we do is we, we get as close as we can to the line because it's, it's, really not a, it's really not a knowledge problem. We know what God says about sex. I think majority of us know what God's standard for sex is. Even the world knows God's standard because they call it old-fashioned all the time. And and the truth is, is we know it's not a knowledge problem. What it is is an application problem. Because we like to flirt with it. We like to hang around. And if we flirt with it long enough, guess what it does? It bites us. And Solomon says, hey, the, the, the problem is, is you're asking the wrong question. You have the wrong Perspective. You shouldn't never ask that question, how close can I get to sin? You should be asking the question, how far can I run from it? He tells his son, hey, don't hang around there. Don't be around those people because if you do, guess where it will lead? He knew we weren't strong enough to face the temptation. And and the truth is, is I'm not strong enough and you're not strong enough. If you put yourself in bad situation after bad situation, guess what's going to happen? In fact, the, the apostle Paul says, Almost the exact same thing in the New Testament. He says this about sexual sin. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So the Apostle Paul's solution to sexual immorality was to simply straight up run from it, flee from it. Notice that flirting and fleeing are two total opposite directions. Flirting hangs around kind of snuggles up, fleeing gets the heck out of there. And if you want a practical application of what fleeing looks like, just read Genesis chapter 39 this week. I know many of you, you're, you're, you're reading through the, the Bible reading plan. We had over 590 people sign up to be in God's word last week. And if you weren't here, you can sign up for that, that Proverbs reading. We're walking through some of the Proverbs to help apply wisdom to our life. And I would just add Genesis chapter 39 to that, to that reading list this week. In Genesis chapter thirteen or 39, we see uh, Joseph. Joseph is, is dealing with Potiphar's wife. She gets him alone, and she wants to have sex with him. She wants to sleep with him. Another man's wife. And you know what Joseph does? He doesn't say, hey, hold on a second. Let's talk about this. You know what? Hey, I'm not ready now, but maybe later. Let's just kind of talk about this. Let me counsel you on this. And you know what he does? He hightails it out of there. He runs for his life. And honestly, some of us, when it comes to temptation on sex in our life, the one thing we should do is slam our computer down, get rid of our iPhone, get out of those situations in our life where we're tempted and stop hanging around there. Flee from sexual immorality because it will save you a lot of damage in your life. And so Solomon, here's what he does is he says, hey, here's the warning, son. If, if, if you don't pay attention to this, you, you, you will cause a lot of heartache in your life. But let me show you, if you don't listen to my warning, what will happen in your life. Let me give you a glimpse into the future. Verse nine, he says, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enriches the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hate a discipline.'" how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, Instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. And Solomon just shows him, his son the future if he doesn't listen to his warnings. Son, if you don't pay attention to the words I'm sharing with you, the wisdom I'm giving you, here's where your life will end up. You'll lose your honor and your dignity. People won't respect you because you're just throwing yourself away. You, you, you get to the end of your life and you will groan because of all the mistakes that you have made. And you'll be in trouble with the people you love the most, God's people. And Solomon says to his son on the top of excess, he says, if you don't listen to the warning, two things will happen. The first one, if you don't listen to my warning, you will live in regret. You will live in regret. He says, you'll get to the end of your life and you will groan, you will mourn, looking back at all the poor choices you've made that have cost you. And when it comes to sexual sin, many of us today, we live in regret. We carry our regret with us and we never thought we would in the moment, but it stuck with us. Many of us today, we, we regret all the way back in our high school and college days where we made choices that we wish we could get back and we didn't realize that that choice would stay with us even in the future of our marriage. Some of us, we live in regret with with some of the decisions that we've made in our marriage where we flirted along with someone else long enough that it cost us and it bit us, and now it's ruined our family. And we regret it, and we carry the burden of our regret with us. And Solomon says to his son, if you choose to go down this path, son, you will regret it. You know, one of my greatest regrets in life was that first click on that website. As a 14-year-old boy, I thought, man, all my friends are doing it. How big of a deal can it be? It just seems like a lot of fun. Like everybody's doing it. Like, hey, I don't wanna be left out. And so one click led to another click, to another click, to multiple, many other clicks. And man, as a 32-year-old guy in the midst of a marriage, I wish I could go back and change that because it changed the way I think. It put images in my head that I just can't delete And I I get to this place in life and I'm just like, man, if I could just do it over. But the problem is many of us live this way and you can't go back and change the past. You can only learn from it. And Solomon says to his son, hey, let me spare you as a young person. If you don't listen now, you'll live in regret. Second thing he says to his son, if you don't listen to my warning, one, you'll live in regret. And then secondly, you'll lose your freedom. You'll lose the freedom that you desire. You know, here's one of the greatest schemes of our enemy is he loves to lie to us, especially when it comes to sex. And what he tells us is he says, look at the world, look at culture and look at all the fun that they're having when it comes to sex. Look at all the pleasures out there. God's holding those back from you. I mean, like, look, look, like, don't you wanna experiment with that? Don't you want to to experience that pleasure? Why wouldn't God want you to? Why wouldn't God want you to have all that fun and all that pleasure? Look at all that freedom that is out there. You should experience it. And honestly, we believe it. Why would God hold us back? Why wouldn't God let me be a part of that? Why would God keep me from all of this freedom? And what the enemy fails to tell us is what so-called freedom, what looks like freedom, ends up being a trap. On the outside, it looks like freedom, and then you indulge in it, and you find yourself held captive to it. And Solomon speaks to that. He says, for for your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all your paths. He says, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. And here's the reality of the freedom that's out there in our culture today. What looks like freedom will keep you ensnared. Take it from someone who's been there. You know, I thought, man, those websites, ah, not that big of a deal. But when I wanted to get out, I couldn't. I prayed and I prayed and I longed and I longed, but I yet I kept going back to the very thing I didn't want to do. The so-called freedom was a trap hidden, and it kept me ensnared from where I wanted to go. Much like an animal caught in a trap, they want to leave, but they can't. Solomon says to his son, it may look like freedom, but it's a trap waiting for you. And if you get caught in it, it's very hard to leave. So Solomon says to his son, be careful. Sex is powerful. It looks good on the outside, but it will cost you. And if you don't listen to my warnings, if you continue to flirt with sin, you'll live in regret and you'll lose your freedom. In fact, this was such a big deal to Solomon. He wrote another chapter. Two chapters later, Proverbs chapter seven is all about this same topic. And he gives his son a living, breathing example of a man who didn't heed the warnings and he shows him where his life will end. Take a listen.
0: My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant, her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today, I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me, pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death.
1: You see some of the common language there. He leans in and he says, pay attention, because if you don't, this is going to cost you. And that line, it says, many are the victims. And that's so true, because we don't listen to the wisdom of God's word. Many of us fall into that trap of sexual sin. Because we don't listen to instruction. We don't listen to wise counsel, to wisdom from God's word. And so Solomon tells his son all of the warnings and the dangers of Sags. But then he begins to make this transition. This transition that I think many parents today fail to make with their children. And if you're a parent here this morning, I would encourage you. You know, we have to have these conversations with our kids As awkward and as weird as they might be, they could actually save your kids from a lot of hurt and pain. And and Solomon kind of gives us an example of how to have that conversation. And I know it's difficult, and, and, and I know many of us, we wait probably too long to have this conversation. Because I can promise you this, your kids know more than you are willing to admit. They learn it on the school bus and in their school, from our culture, from their computers. And so we as parents, we have to shepherd our kids and be willing to have these difficult conversations as Solomon does with his son. And one thing as Christians that we do is we love to pound into our kids, don't have sex until you're married. Don't have sex. If you don't do anything with sexual activity, just just don't have sex. Sex is not for you. Sex is bad right now. And we're really good at at getting that message across. But I think one area when it comes to parenting that we miss is what Solomon is getting ready to introduce his son to. He says, son, sex is dangerous. It's not for you right now. But let me introduce you to an amazing sex life that God created. And he shows his son God's way of having sex, the healthy version of sex. And he builds it off of this foundation. And I think we, we, we get to this point where we have to understand that the greatest lie that we can believe on the topic of sex. The greatest lie that that we as Christians can believe on sex is that what culture has is better than what God gave us. What what culture has and what culture is experiencing is a better sex life than what God created it to be. And I know we would never admit this out loud. I know in our minds we might think this and in our hearts we might believe this, but I, I, I think many Christians today we actually think this way. That we look at the culture and we see what they're getting to do and we see what they're experimenting with and there's something inside of us that actually desires what they have. We, we question God like, "Why, God, God, why can't I do that? Or why can't I, I be involved in that? And we believe the lie that the enemy tells us that culture has it better than we do. And I'm telling you today, when it comes to sex, God's way is best. God is the creator of sex. And so we don't go somewhere else other than the creator to learn how best it can be. And Solomon begins to show his son. He says, be careful with it, but let me show you God's way in it. Proverbs 15, verse 15, it says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? And so Solomon begins this conversation with his son and he, he really establishes the context of sex. He says, hey, you got to understand sex is created by God. And I, I think in, our, in, in the church culture today, sex is almost that taboo topic that we kind of stay away from sex. And I'm not really sure we, why we do that because God is the inventor. He's the creator of sex. And so I think we should have healthy conversations about it in the church, The Bible talks a lot about sex. And Solomon begins, he says, drink water from your own sister. And he he establishes to his son where sex, the context of sex. He says, sex was designed by God for the context of a husband and a wife only. Let me say that again so we get that. Sex was designed by God for the context of a husband and a wife only. And now I recognize that this is not the most popular opinion in our culture today. I recognize that there might even be some tension in your heart with that statement, but you have to understand one thing about Northridge Church is, is we, don't, we don't bend on the truth of God's word, even if culture is going a different direction. We don't care at the end of the day what culture says, we get back to the truth of what God's word says, and the Bible is clear on sex, that sex was created in the context of a marriage between a male and a female. And so if you're here this morning and you are in a dating relationship, you're single, sex is not for you yet. It can be once you get married, but it's not created for a dating relationship. And if you're here this morning and you struggle with same-sex attraction, you have to learn to, to submit to God's way, to be obedient to God's way, even though it's not easy, and not submit to those lustful pleasures much like a heterosexual with their lustful desires, their sinful, lustful desires, has to say no. But I recognize with same-sex attraction, there is really no righteous outlet for that, which makes it very difficult and very hard. But we have to understand why God created sex and the context for it, and that's for a male and a female in a marriage only. It's not popular, but it's what his word says. Solomon continues, he says, "'Let them be yours alone.'" Never be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? And so Solomon begins to, to lead his son. He says, understand the right context and let me show you what you're looking for. Because in marriage, we have to understand that sex is not the end-all, be-all. It's actually just a pathway to what we're ultimately looking for. And many of us, we're searching in, in marriage and in relationships for really one word. It's called intimacy. It's this relationship built on, on trust where you know each other at the core and you love being around each other. You see, in marriage and in dating relationships, what we're trying to produce, what we're trying to create in those relationships is intimacy. And and Solomon tells his son, hey, let me show you how you get there. It's through a word called exclusivity. You see, exclusivity is being committed to someone for the long haul. It's saying you are mine and mine alone, not to be shared with strangers, not to to, to, to drink water from my own cistern. Like you are mine. Exclusivity is saying we are in it, me and you for the long haul until we die. And here's what exclusivity does, Solomon says. He says, exclusivity creates trust in a relationship and that produces intimacy, intimacy. You see, when you choose to be committed to one person, that exclusivity in your relationship will build what every relationship needs, which is trust. You know, some of you, why your marriage struggles right now is because you don't trust each other. You don't. You have to worry about where your husband or where your wife goes on a regular basis, wondering where, who they're talking with and who they're flirting with, and that, that ruins intimacy. It tears it apart But can I tell you, I'm in a relationship where I have never, ever worried about who my wife was talking to. I've never wondered like how my wife's got a business job and, and, and there might be a male figure there. Like I'm nervous about the conversations that she's going to have. It's never even crossed my mind. And I know it's true for my wife. When I go away and I fly to, to, to different countries or different states to shoot videos for the church, my wife is never wondering, like, I wonder what Drew's going to be doing on this trip. I, I wonder the things he's going to be struggling with, the people he's going to be talking about. Because we've chosen in our marriage to be exclusive. That my wife knows I'm hers and she's mine. And is, is sometimes as bad as that is and as good as that is, we're stuck with each other. And you know what that does in a marriage? It creates trust, trust. And what that trust does is it produces intimacy where we long to be together. We long to to desire after one another. And Solomon says, that's what we're looking for. The world says with sex, it says, hey, have sex with whoever, whenever you want. And the very thing they miss out on is the very thing we're all chasing after is intimacy, The goal is intimacy, and inside your marriage, you get that through exclusivity, because that builds trust, and it will create intimacy. But Maybe you're here today, and you're dating, and you're like, how do I I set myself up for the future? And I'm not really, like, exclusive with anybody, and so what am I chasing after? Well, you're chasing after something that's tied to exclusivity, which is called Purity. You build your life on purity in what you look and how you act and what you do with the opposite sex because purity leads to exclusivity, which ultimately creates intimacy. It's a pathway where I'm single and I'm dating. I'm gonna gonna choose purity. I'm gonna save myself so I can be exclusive with somebody else for the long haul and so I can experience intimacy in my relationships. And so Solomon drops a lot of wisdom for us on the topic of sex. He warns us about the power and the danger of sex. He says, hey, be careful or you'll live in regret and you'll lose your freedom. But he also shows us the best way to experience sex in the right context and desiring after intimacy. And so for all of us, we have to really ask this question, how do I as a single person or how do I as a married person take this message home with me? How do I understand it? And how do I apply this wisdom to my life? And I wanna break it down into two categories. First, I wanna to talk to the single people here this morning. The single people, and what I mean by single is you're not in the context of a marriage right now. It might, you might be dating, you might not be dating. You might be divorced and now single again. And here's what I would challenge you to understand and believe, if you're single, waiting is worth it. Waiting is worth it. And I know that, that this is old fashioned, right? I know this doesn't make sense to our culture around us. In fact, man, as a you know, 16-year-old boy going to doctor's offices, 18, going, getting medical checkups, and they would do testing, they would often ask me, how many partners have you been with? Well, I haven't been with anybody. And they'd be like, okay, tell me the truth. Your parents aren't here. I'm like, no, it's serious. Like, the world doesn't understand it. They don't get it. That waiting is actually worth it. Like some people, we just believe like, hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure things out before you make the long-term commitment, right? No. In fact, I'll give you a piece of advice today. If you wanna ruin a relationship while you're dating, while you're single, have sex. Because what that will do is it will put expectations on your relationship and it will put pressure on your relationship that it's not yet ready for. And it will destroy your relationship. So, Understand if you want to set your marriage, your future marriage up for success, waiting is worth it. It's worth it because purity paves the way to intimacy. Ultimately what we're looking for is intimacy in that relationship for the long haul. And so being pure, saving yourself in what you see and what you look at and how you treat women and men, it will pave the way to intimacy. You know, I've given a lot of gifts in my life, big gifts, small gifts. And when it comes to dating, you know, what we think in our culture today is the greatest gift when it comes to the dating context is when that man gets on his knees and he gives uh, his his future wife that diamond ring. Most women wait for that day and most men save for that day. (laughs) And we think, wow, that, that is the gift that every woman and every man can't wait to share. And I've experienced that. But let me tell you the greatest gift I believe that I have ever given in my life. It was the day that I stood before my wife on our wedding day and I looked her in the eyes and I said, I've waited for you. There were times where I didn't want to, there was temptation all along the way and by no means was I perfect, but I could look my wife in the eye and say, you know what, I wanna be exclusive with you and I wanna enjoy the pleasure of sex with only you. And I believe in my heart, it's one of the greatest gifts that I have ever given. And it's set our marriage up for success. And I know right now, even hearing that, some of you just feel guilty and convicted immediately because maybe you made a mistake already. Maybe you gave that away. But the great thing about God is he, our God is a God of second chances. And he will forgive you of your sin and he will pave a way for you to experience purity and set your future marriage up for the future. So don't give up. Because waiting is worth it. Maybe you're here today and you're married. You're married and so you're saying, like, what's my application? And I would just simply say this to our married couples. Sex is God's gift to you. Enjoy it. God created sex for the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And so as Christians, we should enjoy it. We should revel in it. We should celebrate it. You know, I, 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 one thing that's so great about the way God created sex is it, get, it just gets better with time. This might be TMI, but we're already talking about sex, so, you know, we'll just, go, we'll just go into it. I remember when Ashley and I first got married, and sex was amazing. It was awesome, and I was like, "Woo! this can't get any better. And then 12 years of marriage happened, and let me tell you, it's night and day from day one to, day, to year 12. And I've talked to, to older, mature couples who've been married for 40, 50 years, and they look at me and they just say, Drew, just wait. Just wait because it gets better with time. And that's the amazing thing about the way God created sex in an exclusive relationship, as you get to build and get better at it together, not worrying about comparison, not worrying about other people invading that, but you just get to grow together as a couple, enjoying the gift that God gave you. Sex is a beautiful, pleasurable gift from God. And I think we as Christians, we should get to the place where we believe in God's way so much that the world actually looks at Christians and say, man, I want to experience sex like that. I think our culture today, if we as Christians would rise up and understand the way God created sex and live by it, I believe this with my whole heart, the world would start saying, you know what? We're missing what they have. And I'm just not sure we're there yet. You know what, maybe you're here today and you're a spouse, you're a husband or your wife and you're just, you kind of throw your hands up in the air and you're just like, man, I just, I just want to have more sex in my relationship. I'm, I'm struggling right now because I feel like we don't have sex in our marriage. And you know what we do is we blame that other person in our relationship. Like you just won't have sex with me. What's wrong with you? But maybe it's you. And what I would challenge spouses to do is, you know, we, we talk about sex and we just think about the bedroom. But sex is way bigger than the bedroom. And if you want to have more sex in your relationship, maybe you need to start serving your spouse more, loving them, actually having a conversation with them, sitting down and and meeting their needs that ultimately leads to the bedroom. So maybe it's about serving them, loving them, getting to know what makes them tick and what gets them wild and crazy and stepping into that. Because God created sex. And so maybe the best application I will ever give you as a married couple at Northridge Church is maybe today you just simply go home and have sex. Amen, right? All the kids in the room are like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Because sex is way bigger than just a physical activity. Sex builds intimacy. It creates it in your marriage. And look what Solomon says to his son about his future wife. He says, may her breast satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Solomon says you should be love drunk off of your spouse and you should desire them. I wonder how many of us have a marriage where we're intoxicated with each other, that we've built this level of intimacy in our marriage that we honestly just can't keep our hands off each other because we communicate, because we're committed, we're exclusive, we trust each other, and that just pushes us honestly to the bedroom. If we're not there, maybe we get there. So if you're single today, waiting is worth it. And if you're married, enjoy the gift God gave you. Don't be afraid or ashamed of it, but enjoy the pleasures of it. Solomon says to his son, he says, son, sex is powerful. And it can be one of two things. It can be very rewarding or it can be very damaging. And what separates those two paths is simply which way you follow. Today, if you wanna have a destructive sex life, you follow the way culture tells you to go. And I can promise you, you will live in regret. But if you wanna experience the best sex of your life, trust God's way, and I promise it will guarantee. Let's pray. God, thanks for the gift of sex. Thank you that you you give it to us in the right context, and may we take this wisdom, God, and live it out. I pray for the single couple right now that maybe has made some mistakes, and maybe they choose wisdom today. I pray for the married couple that is struggling. God, may you use conversations on this topic to build that exclusivity and trust in the relationship. And may they get to the point where they just love the gift that you gave them. In Jesus' name, amen.